You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. I decide as I decide. I do as I do. Free will sits at the center of human thought, behavior, morality, and responsibility. But what may seem obvious may be strangely not so. I am haunted by what the philosopher John Searle told me. The reason that we have a special problem about free will is that we have inconsistent views, each of which is supported by what are apparently overwhelming reasons. The reason for believing that we have free will is we experience it every day. But on on the the other side, you've got an overwhelming amount of evidence that human behavior is part of the natural world, and it looks like it ought to be explained in terms of causally sufficient conditions. But if that's true, then free will is an illusion. Here's the deep problem of free will. On the one hand, our human sense is that our will is fully free. On the other hand, our scientific sense is that every action is determined by a prior action. Free will versus determinism. That's the big question. And that's the mystery. What other mysteries might free will help solve? Human cognition, moral responsibility, consciousness. I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth asks the big questions of free will. How to attack the problem of free will? Start by describing it. I ask a philosopher of the Christian religion who takes free will seriously, Richard Swinburne. I think we have free will in the sense that it is up to us what we do um, when we perform intentional actions. We make our choices in the light of our moral beliefs and in the light of our desires and uh, uh, they act automatically except when there is a conflict. So free will is, as I see it, a matter of us being able to choose between the inclinations and desires which come to us when there's a need to choose. And that's why we are rightly, I believe, held morally responsible for our actions. Free will operates in a a very limited but very crucial area, and that's why we can be held praise or blame. That's my view about what it consists in. If free will is crucial for moral responsibility, could its mystery be central to our humanity? However, free will must be altered, claims philosopher of mind Ned Block, or free will must be an illusion. The problem with the concept of free will, at least the ordinary concept, is that it's incompatible both with determinism and indeterminism. 
It's incompatible with determinism because if my decision right now is determined, it's a function of my prior state and the inputs um, uh, that I got, then it's not free in the ordinary concept. But it's also, the concept is incompatible with indeterminism because to the extent that my actions are re the result of chance, they're not free either. If there's a, essentially a coin flipping going on, that's not free. <laughs> so free will, in the ordinary way, the ordinary concept is incompatible with both determinism and indeterminism, which shows there's something wrong with the concept. But if Ned is right, and something is wrong with the concept of free will, could we change the concept? Walter Sinnott Armstrong, a philosopher at Duke, thinks he has the answer. Determinism does not deter him. An easy way out of the dilemma would be to adopt a compatibilist view of free will, where free will is compatible with determinism. And whether you're free or not on this view depends not on whether it, your actions are determined, but how they're determined. If your actions are determined by your own choices, then you're free. If your actions are determined by some kind of compulsion or by some kind of coercion, by someone putting a gun to your head, then you're not free. But the idea is that if freedom is compatible with determinism and you're determined to do what you're going to do, still you did it freely because you were not acting under any kind of ignorance or compulsion or coercion or duress or anything of the sort. That seems to be a pretty weak free will because it is impossible for you to do otherwise. Well, I don't know whether it's weak or not. It's weak only if it doesn't do its purpose. And the purpose of ascribing free will to people is often to decide whether they're responsible and therefore whether they're eligible for punishment or not. Then there's another notion of freedom, free from being caused by anything in any way. Maybe we're not free in that sense, but I'm not sure why we care. Sorry, Walter, I do care. No compatibilism for me, thank you. I want my free will to be really free, where I can do otherwise. I hear Walter is in a pioneering project on free will, big questions in free will, and the first gathering is at Florida State University in Tallahassee. Philosophers, it seems, like to play pool. The mechanics of pool balls as they rebound and ricochet seems an apt metaphor for determinism, the absolute certainty that conditions in the past, driven by the laws of physics, determine the future. I took up a game with philosopher Al Mealy. Al is the leader of the Big Questions in Free Will project. Cool? I played great. Truth to tell, not so great. Al won easily. It's easy to select shots that support my shaky ego. Is it also easy to select arguments that support my shaky beliefs? I wonder if philosophers select their arguments to support their beliefs. How not to fool oneself.
precision is key. I ask Al to define free will's terms. Somewhere along the line, I thought of a gas station um, analogy for free will. So at gas stations, you can get regular gas, you can get mid-grade gas, or you can get premium. The regular way of thinking about free will is like this. Sufficient for having free will would be just that you're sane and rational. Uh, nobody's pushing you around. There's no compulsion or coercion. That would be enough. When you bump up to the mid-grade, you need to add something to this. And what you have to add is that at the very moment you made a decision, everything being the same right up until then, um, you could have done otherwise. So that's the mid-grade conception. On the third one, that's not enough for free will either. You also need to have a non-physical soul or a non-physical mind. I've heard all these terms, compatible, incompatible, libertarian, determinant, all these words are come to populate the concept of free will. Right. So you've got to clarify each one of these big terms so we can understand it. Now, uh, compatibilism, incompatibilism, and libertarianism are all defined in terms of determinism. So let's start with determinism. So the basic idea of determinism is this, that a complete statement of the laws of nature and a complete description of the universe at any point in time entails all other truths about the universe. Compatibilism is the view that determinism is consistent or compatible uh, with free will. So that even if determinism is true, the compatibilist says um, people might be able to act freely. Incompatibilism is just the denial or negation of compatibilism. So it's the view that determinism as I defined it is not compatible with free will. And then libertarians are incompatibilists who believe that people sometimes act freely. So libertarianism, which has nothing to do with political libertarianism, is the combination of two theses, incompatibilism and people sometimes act freely. Libertarians are saying that free will requires the ability to do otherwise, you know, at particular moments, and uh, compatibilists are denying that because compatibilists are saying, even if determinism is true, you can act freely. Let's link it back to the three different conceptions of free will. So the regular free will is a compatibilist kind of free will. Uh, Mid-grade free will is libertarian free will. So that's a kind of deep ability to do otherwise, or deep openness. The third kind, the premium kind of free will, is libertarian too. That is, it's incompatibilist. It's claiming that people act freely, but it adds to libertarianism an extra factor, a required soul, a non-physical soul, or a non-physical mind. Okay, Al, I get the positions of free will, but can we make progress after so many thinkers, so many centuries? That's the goal of the big questions in free will project, which Al tells me has three wings, Science, philosophy, theology. Al's plan is to bring together scientists and philosophers and even theologians to conference together, to work together. Work together? Well, they can eat together. I guess that's a start. I'll be talking to them, so I should meet them. 
Wonder if I can pick out the scientists, philosophers, theologians by how they look. They may look the same, but they don't think the same. The scientists stress the brain. The philosophers debate arguments. The theologians involve God. I speak with participants from each of the Free Will Project's three wings. The science wing features neuroscientists and social psychologists. What happens in the brain when we make decisions? Why do we feel responsible for our actions? Psychologist Talia Wheatley studies what makes humans infinitely fascinating. Can hypnosis and brain scans discern whether free will is an illusion? Hypnosis is an excellent tool that is just really um, coming into its own in cognitive neuroscience. I think for a long time, it's got this sort of checkered history of being part of a stage show, circus act, black magic, and so science wasn't going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And then with the advent of neuroimaging, we started to see, oh, this is a real thing. It's an altered state of consciousness. It's something that's happening in the brain that we can study scientifically and mm. utilize, exploit. Mm. Mm. Because what is great about hypnosis is that you can hypnotize someone to do a behavior that would just unfold as it would normally, but they lack agency for that behavior. So they're creating it, but they don't have the feeling of authorship of that action. And we're really interested in what's that authorship feeling doing, if anything. Which is free will. Which is free will. Okay, so what is your experiment and how is it going to work? The main neuroscientific evidence against free will is this electrocortical activity that you get before you make an action that, that starts uh, one to two seconds before you become consciously aware that you're going to move. So, of course, because you become consciously aware before you move, even though that happens really late in terms of the neural event, uh, we think it's too late to be doing anything causal, but we can't rule it out because it's there. So the basic idea with what we want to do is use hypnosis to take away this uh, conscious awareness that you're about to move and see, does the neural activity look the same? Yeah. If nothing changes, then it suggests that becoming aware that you're about to move isn't really instrumental to your movement. And it would signal something even stronger, the radical idea that the conscious feeling that you have has absolutely no causative effect. That's right. That's right. And therefore, free will is an illusion. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Okay, Talia, you want me to accept that free will is an illusion? You've got some work to do. Actually, that's just what many physicists accept. I meet Janan Ismail, a philosopher of physics. She expects physics to explain free will. Really? If physics is the most fundamental science, then everything that there is in the world, including ourselves and including free will, if there is free will, ultimately has to be at least implicitly included in the description of the world that's given us by physics. Okay. So from that point of view, everything else that's described by the special sciences, including neuroscience, social psychology, ordinary psychology, that's all ultimately a more coarse-grained description um, of what's described completely and precisely and at the most fine-grained level in physics. But do you not agree that at higher levels of the hierarchy of existence, particularly for human sentience, 
there are things happening that are in principle, in principle, not describable at lower levels. It depends what you mean by describe and it depends what you mean by in principle. So the goal of physics is ultimately to at least implicitly encompass all of what there is, including all of the you know, phenomenal feel that is the way uh, uh, listening to a symphony feels to you. It's a matter of great controversy and it's an unsettled question whether physics ever will be able to resolve that goal. I think right now it's not the case, in my view, that we have any um, knockdown arguments that that's not possible. It's certainly what what physics strives to achieve, and it's what the completeness of physics, if physics ever does realize that goal, will consist in. It's an axial issue, Janan. Can physics ever fully explain consciousness? Much rides on the answer, and free will is in the thick of it. The project's philosophy wing deals with fundamentals of free will. What conditions are necessary for free will? Do free will and consciousness need each other? Adina Ruskies, with two PhDs in neuroscience and philosophy, asks how decision-making and consciousness affect free will. Decision-making is something that you can have, first of all, without consciousness. Right? You can have a purely non-minded algorithmic machine that makes decisions. Um, but I think that what we think of when we think of making free decisions is there's some aspect of consciousness involved in those, but it's really not clear what aspect of consciousness is important for a decision to be free. But I think that the common sense notion of free will has something at least to do with consciousness um, and responsibility. Now, it's possible that you could even make free decisions unconsciously, and a lot of social psychology seems to suggest that we freely make decisions that we're not necessarily conscious of as we're making them. Um, but responsibility, it seems, is really linked much more closely to consciousness. It's hard to imagine holding somebody responsible for something that they didn't know that they were doing or weren't conscious of. No consciousness, no free will, no responsibility. But what about crime and punishment? We're talking social order here. A slippery slope, don't you think? Now my favorite. Can free will probe the essence of consciousness? Tim Bain, a philosopher of mind, asks how volition relates to consciousness. So we know the mind is full of unconscious bits of information. We register all sorts of features of the environment where those registrations don't make it into consciousness. We're unaware of them. All that information can influence cognitive functions, can influence action. But we also believe that consciousness is important and necessary for certain types of action, for certain types of functions. So patients who are in a uh, vegetative state can do very little. They, they, they seem to go through the sleep-wake cycle, um, but they won't respond to commands. And a recent work using an fMRI study, Functional Magnetic Resonance Imaging Study, asked a patient uh, to engage in um, some voluntary imagery. Uh, they asked this uh, vegetative state patient to imagine um, walking around her house for 30 seconds, uh, and then asked her to imagine playing tennis 
for 30 seconds. And we know that these types of imagery, because they involve different types of behavior, um, different contents, uh, um, trigger different types of the brain. And they looked at her brain patterns over the 30 seconds, and it looked like she was following these commands. And the authors of the study concluded that she was conscious, even though she hadn't engaged in any outward behavioral manifestations of consciousness. The reason why they took the neural activation to be evidence of consciousness in this patient was that they took the neural activation to be evidence of agency, voluntary agency. So that's the nexus between consciousness and free will. Exactly. Because you need that's, the consciousness to have the volition to... That, in a nutshell, is the idea. And then the question is, well, there's different kinds of consciousness, there's different kinds of volition. Which kinds of consciousness do you need for which kinds of volition and under what conditions? And they're blunt instruments. The dance of volition and consciousness, each spotlighting the other. But can free will dig deeper? There is a theological dimension to free will. And when disputes about God touch debates about free will, strange things happen. The project's theology wing asks about divine freedom and human freedom. If God does only what's best, how is God free? If God knows the future, how are humans free? Human freedom and divine foreknowledge must be compatible argues David Hunt, a philosopher of religion, because there are no alternatives. When you bring God into the mix, death isn't the end. Something happens afterwards, which is usually conceived of as some kind of reward and some kind of punishment, ratcheted up <laughs> to the nth degree when you have to bring uh, heaven and hell uh, into it. Which relate uh, to free will because theoretically the reward and punishment have to do with some kind of a moral judgment of, of our moral responsibility, exactly. which relates to free will. Exactly. <laughs> Christian philosophers tend almost overwhelmingly to be libertarians. Theologians nope. tend overwhelmingly to be Calvinists. In other words, believing in predestination. Right, right. Calvinist theologians seem to be more concerned with uh, uh, coming up with an account that gives its due to divine sovereignty, whereas philosophers who tend to be more, more concerned with moral responsibility tend to go for a robust conception of free will. I think first of all that this is a... Uh, but given David's robust concept of free will, Bringing in God brings in problems. I ask again, if God knows the future, then how can humans have free will? I recall that Alvin Plantinga, a leading Christian philosopher, claims to have figured out how. Al, you believe that God knows the future, right? Right, I do. You also believe that human beings have free will. I believe that too, right. How do you reconcile the two? Uh, well, first of all, I'd have to ask why there's a problem about that. Suppose the future is going to be a certain way. It's now true that I'll walk out of the door at a certain time. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's now, is it now true that I will have dinner tonight? Things like that at least can be true. And we don't think that interferes with free will. So why should it be that God's knowing what the future uh, is? Why should it be that that would compromise human free will. Well, there is one difference. If God has a belief today about the future, 
that cannot be wrong. No belief that God has can be wrong. Then whatever that is has to happen, and we all have to conform to that. Okay, belief. so there's, it has to happen. It has to be that way. It's necessary that it be that way. So let's let's think about that. God currently sees the future, and from that it follows that it will happen. But from that it doesn't follow that it has to happen. Under no conditions would he have a false belief. There's no possible world in which he has a false belief. But there are possible worlds in which he believes something different from what he believes in fact in the actual world. Oh. <laughs> I mean, in those worlds where things go differently, he has different beliefs. His beliefs are always true, but they're not the same beliefs in every possible world. The tension between divine foreknowledge and human freedom is a big question that the Free Will Project will tackle. But free will itself is a very big question. Here are three reasons why. One, free will empowers human thought and behavior. Two, free will enables personal moral responsibility and social moral judgment. Three, free will probes the essence of consciousness. Can the big questions in Free Will Project make progress? I'm cautioned by John Searle's warning. John, you've called the problem of free will something of a scandal mm -hmm. in philosophy. Why? Well, we haven't made any progress. It's the same issues, the same mistakes being repeated over and over. The projects are pioneering. I'd like to be hopeful. Yet I find myself skeptical. So let's see, but not fool ourselves. Of only this, I'm sure, free will brings us closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.